0: I have learned that my anxiety at least is predisposed. I was for sure born with it Mm. um, because I I see it in my family. And then I guess I identify as an empath. So I am more aware and open to others' feelings first. And probably part of that is also being the oldest child in a divorce situation. So I had the whole mother hen natural, like Ah, I'm the oldest, I need to take care of everybody thing. Mm-hmm. So definitely, you know, caregiver personality mm-hmm. and empath and then all that anxiety, it was like the perfect storm. <laughs> hey, this is
1: Allison. Welcome to Underwithheld, the podcast by accountants and for accountants where we talk about our ubiquitous professional and personal struggles. You are not alone. This episode is a conversation I had with Elizabeth Rue. Elizabeth is the owner of Personal Financial Services, a tax and fiduciary firm in Bloomington, Indiana. In her role as a fiduciary, Elizabeth often works with underserved folks who come from difficult backgrounds and rely heavily on her for navigating daily life. As you can imagine, the weight of being responsible for so many vulnerable clients can be quite stressful. Elizabeth shares with us her struggles with anxiety and how it impacts her personal and professional life. The National Institutes of Health has this to say about anxiety. Occasional anxiety is a normal part of life. Many people worry about things such as health, money, or family problems. But anxiety disorders involve more than temporary worry or fear. For people with an anxiety disorder, the anxiety does not go away and can get worse over time. The symptoms can interfere with daily activities such as job performance, schoolwork, and relationships. A link to the National Institutes of Health's page discussing anxiety is in the show notes. The page continues a discussion of the various types of anxiety disorders, symptoms, and treatments. In case it needs to be said, I nor my guests are therapists. We are not offering therapy. We may say things that just don't resonate with you, and if so, that's totally cool. There's nothing prescriptive here, just colleagues talking about an issue we think is important, and we hope talking about it will help someone else. If something sounds helpful to you here, cool. If not, just ignore it. Welcome to the show. Elizabeth, hey, welcome to the show.
0: Thank you. On a beautiful Friday afternoon. I don't know what day this airs, but (laughs) it it actually,
1: if anything goes based on my record, it will be on a Friday of some sort. Okay. So happy Friday to all you listeners out there.
0: (laughs) But before we get into that, how's your week been? Uh, It's been actually readjust. It's been a readjustment just coming down off the buzz of the last bit of tax season and then breathing. Yeah. We are... Busy shifting and trying to catch up on little admin things that have been piling up. And then I still have, I don't know, too many stragglers that I'm babysitting and trying to get out the door and figure out shifting because somebody posted on Twitter, there's only 10 weeks till tax season. I'm like, I did not need that in my face. (laughs) Too soon. (laughs) Too soon. You know, and then uh, we're busy Christmas shopping already. We already have, so we have about, probably 45, 50 guardianship clients. And so we save and save and save their money all year round and then buy them Christmas. So I just hauled home an entire van full of gifts last night for teenagers to start wrapping in exchange for a new cell phone. Oh, wow. Because I hate wrapping Christmas presents, but we have a lot to wrap. (laughs) Yeah. You got to get started now, don't you? Yes. (laughs) Yes. And it's fun. It's fun to give them Christmas because most of them don't have any family. So they've never experienced Christmas, really. And they don't they don't have big asks. Their asks are like a new pair of shoes or a gift card to go get new clothes. Or every two years I do when Nicole's pillows go on sale, everybody gets new pillows. And, you know, it's just once in a while we get a big ask TV, video game system, something like that. But for the most part, it's just things that you and I would just go buy. Elizabeth, would you
1: tell us a little bit more about that? You and I have had talks here and there, but I'm sure our audience will not know exactly what you're referring to. And the work that you do is very, very different than what I think most people are used to thinking of when they think of an accountant or a tax person. So will you share a little
0: bit about that with us? So I have this kind of second business that the accounting part of my business supplements usually that we provide fiduciary services. And there are a lot of accountants that will serve as trustee or um estate personal rep, but we also do guardianship work and healthcare representatives, like we'll make people's healthcare decisions and do the financial side for people who are adult disabled um, and elderly. So I would say probably of our guardianship or fiduciary clients are adult disabled, like they have an intellectual disability. And the rest of my clients have dementia in some form. And 85% of them live in some sort of 24-hour care setting. I spend most of my time in that world with the people with adult disabled with the intellectual disabilities. Because For some reason, I currently have many high behaviors on my caseload. So we're troubleshooting, but I love it. I love that part of the world. I have this 24 year old gentleman who's been spending Monday and Wednesdays in my office the last few weeks, who is every time he sees me, he just gives me super big hugs and he's just hanging out and watching TV. And we have him pulling staples and emptying shred and erasing dry erase stuff to earn some treats. And he's content. It's just, it's just so nice to be able to help people who are stuck in a system that is built to advocate for them that can't because the system is so bogged down. And I'm in Indiana. And so we don't have a lot of funding in Indiana and our neighbors in Ohio have a much better system. And for a system that wants people to be as individual as possible, they sure make it hard. It just And some of that too is just compounded by the lack of staff that has always been a problem and is now more of a problem because of COVID. So I go in and I hold their feet to the fire and try to do uh, fun things that give them the best quality of life that we can give them with the financial resources that they have. That's always our goal. Um, There's a company here that recently started that um, all they do is traveling for people with adult disabilities. So I was able to send some of my people to Disney World and I've never even been to Disney World, but you know, they grew up in terrible, terrible family situations and vacations just that. I mean, that wasn't the furthest thing from their minds. And I would say 85% of those clients have been abused by their family that I have. So, you know, they, their childhood looked very different and it's so much fun to be able to say, Hey, you want to go Disney? And they say, yes. And we say, Okay. <laughs> And here's a company and you're going to go and you're going to have fun. And they come back with pictures and smiles and they're so excited. So it's just nice to be able to give some joy that way. And then as a result, I, and it all spills into the accounting world because I have a niche of elderly that um, we're doing legacy planning and tax planning around all that. And then I can also speak to them about what the real world looks like as far as, okay, you don't have any children and you have millions of dollars. Here's what your long-term care choices are going to look like. Or here, you have an adult disabled child that you want to take care of when you can't take care of yourself anymore. Here's what you have to do. And so I get, a, I get that niche of people who have maybe more unique needs. I don't even know that they are that u- unique. I just know that they know that I can help them in a more complete way than they would otherwise encounter in uh, an accounting scenario. So they find their way to me. How did you get involved in the guardianship work? I worked for attorneys in the probate world. I started out working for a bank when I was like 18 or 19. And then I worked, I am from Bloomington, Indiana, and I still live here, but I had escaped to Boston for a while. And so when I went to Boston, I worked for a temp agency that ended up placing me with attorneys out there. So I worked out there for attorneys for several years, came back to Bloomington and then continued working with attorneys and all doing guardianships, estates, all the probate stuff, and then worked for a trust company at a bank and they serve as guardian for people who have lots of money. And during that time, I worked part-time as a seasonal preparer for Jackson Hewitt and then uh, my best friend actually is the GM and now owns the local franchise here. At that time, I was I started there 20 years ago. <laughs> but the uh, <laughs> the plan was I left that bank job and went full time for Jackson Hewitt because we were going to buy out that franchise owner. So we were looking for off season income, and there was another lady in Terre Haute that provided guardianship services. So I looked at that structure and started out just doing nursing home Medicaid cases because there wasn't really anybody around that did that. And I got the full rundown fairly quickly because my ex-mother-in-law had dementia at that point. So I, I learned everything there was to know about being poor and needing housing assistance and food stamps and caregivers, and then eventually moving and going through the system. I learned that all on a very personal level and then expanded that and to get some off season income and Medicaid gives us $35 a month to do that. And uh, if they're in a nursing home, and then if they live in the community, we get a hundred dollars a month. So we do keep track of our time though, because if they have extra money, like the stimulus money that came flowing through their accounts and we had to spend down because they had to be below resources Mm -hmm. to stay on Medicaid, we build for our time and got caught up on a lot of that. Uh, with the stimulus money, because we've otherwise had their needs met for a long time and they didn't have any extra. I mean, that's how some of them got to go to Disney too, but we also used it to catch up some of our fees. So I will forever be a time tracker. That's been another big conversation <laughs> floating around. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> but I love that piece and advocating for them and trying to help them have a good quality of life that they otherwise, if they were just a cog in the system, would not get. And most of the service providers and many of the doctors now know who I am. And that comes with its plus and minuses. For instance, my children, I drive them an hour away to doctors because I can't have them in this system because it just messes up everything for work. And I just can't handle it anymore. And they can't get, they're too big for their britches, the IU health. So I have to drive them to another network Mm -hmm. an hour away. So little things like that change the world, but it's been challenging, but I will never stop doing that. I don't think.
1: I would imagine between helping these folks with your guardianship work, and then also simply being a tax professional the last few years, it feels like that is a
0: true recipe
1: for anxiety.
0: Well, yes. And I have learned a lot (laughs) about my anxiety in those years because, I mean, you know, I have learned that my anxiety at least is predisposed. I was for sure born with it Mm -hmm. um, because I see it in my family. And then I guess I identify as an empath. So I am more aware and open to others' feelings first. And probably part of that is also being the oldest child in a divorce situation. So I had the whole mother hen natural, like ah, I'm the oldest, I need to yeah. take care of everybody thing. Mm-hmm. So definitely, you know, caregiver personality and in path. and then all that anxiety, it was like the perfect storm. <laughs> so, but at least I made a money making business out of that caregiving piece. So I was in my 30s when I, well, I was in my late 20s when I got married and just we were divorced in 2019, right? But be- it was final, like right before COVID. And I had learned a lot through that process that uh, this reflecting that that was a very toxic relationship. And he had at least n- never diagnosed, but tra- traces of, or traits of being uh, like what I would call a covert narcissist, which mm. because I had the anxiety and the need for constant reassurance, I never got it in that relationship. And then that sure. put me in like fight or flight mode for years. And I didn't really understand that till I came out of it. and crash really like when he moved out like I I had all my energy when I had my kids and then when they left I just sat on my couch and watched Netflix for five days straight eating cereal and it took almost a year to really just physically recover from all of that. And I had, you know, I had a therapist. They still have a therapist and they helped a lot with tools and took met. I'm on some medication to help with it all. But What was amazing to me was getting that out of my life and being able to process that and reflect on it and understand it. I mean, it just exploded after that. I mean, my I had no idea how much that was holding back my business. And as I think many people are reflecting on the scope of the business and looking at the clients and trying to figure out where do we fall now with this, what's the new normal going to be. And I'm realizing that many of my clients that I'm struggling with, that I'm having personality conflicts with are from a time when I was really a different person because I was in this mode of, I'm not getting what I need at home to feel like I'm a good human being. I need to please my clients and make them happy doing way more than I probably ever should have for them. But then they got used to it. Oh, yeah. Um, So then when you start dialing back, because, oh my gosh, your world has exploded with letters and COVID, you can't do it anymore. And you get all this pushback and like looking at the demographics of who I'm firing, I'm like, they're like my ex. (laughs) Oh, wow. (laughs) So that has been really kind of just eye-opening, but it's don't, I mean, I'm blessed that I don't ever, like, I don't have to advertise. I have plenty of referrals. I... I mean, clearly, clearly I put out a good service and I have knowledge because people are very happy with me and keep, keep coming. And it's okay to let go of those that want to decide how I'm running my business versus me getting to decide how I'm going to offer that service because being, uh, so I left Jackson Hewitt um, and started on my own when the, there's a lot of shifting change, changing around compliance and other things in the demographic I was moving away from the demographic that Jackson Hewitt covers. Our local Jackson Hewitt, they're very, very intelligent preparers. They do a good job. They have a lot of double and triple checks in place to try to make sure that they're putting out a good product. And I refer people to them all the time. I think they do a good job, but I was just because of the guardianship world and my legal background and the trust background, like I was kind of moving away from that demographic. And so I started, went out on my own and I exploded being female owned and didn't anticipate that and so that combined with trying to figure out my footing and then your normal saying yes because I'm new and I need money and I need to make sure I have I can pay my bills like startups kind of feel like all of that now is okay we're taking a breather we're we're gonna I don't grow and change and re-identify what does it mean to be Elizabeth Rue I guess So shedding that old skin, I still have a few hanging on that I'm struggling to tell myself it's okay. I sent an email last night and it was just, you've outgrown me. And really, it's just, I don't really have a problem helping them. It's just, they have more needs than I care to help them with. And it's not that they don't deserve to be helped with it. It's just not what I want to do. So I- There's a lid for every pot. Yeah. Yeah woke up at five o'clock this morning had an email back from him and it took a whole lot to open that email like my anxiety was like oh my gosh he's gonna hate me he's gonna you know he's gonna be super mad at me and I'm really just trying to do what's best for both of us here but he's not gonna understand that I don't want to open this email it took me two hours to open that email this morning and when I did finally open it he's like you know we agree and we we really appreciate you and where you've been and you know it was not it was they were already feeling it too. And they were one of the only people that I searched out a, rep, a, a referral for. And I gave them that information because most people I just say, you're on your own, find somebody. And, but I really respect what they're doing. And I tried really hard to just get them through COVID before I sloughed them off. So it's just, it's way, it's funny how anxiety pokes up at different times, even with a lot of practice and tools to recognize it. Sure. And then of course it, rears its head when you're really busy pushing deadlines and you're tired and now you're not eating well and you're just and then like all of the second third fourth guessing shows up and i had i had to implement a color-coded folder system so i would not feel the need to go all the way back through a file again because i was afraid i did something wrong the first time i touched it just to keep my anxiety from slowing down my efficiency so it's been Interesting to see all the different and I can't figure out how I'm going to implement that if we ever go completely paperless. <laughs> I can't I can't do I don't know. I need my purple folder that says new documents to prepare. <laughs> so but it's a work in progress and it probably always will be because technology keeps changing and I just have to keep learning how to breathe through it. And some days are better than others. And I try to solve the bad days with buying lunch for the office and <laughs> moving on. does that work yes everyone likes food (laughs) (laughs) and when i buy lunch for the office i'm like i do not want dominoes pick something nice (laughs) so (laughs) so we rotate it sometimes i have to guide it (laughs) they found a uh it's called healthy hoosiers it's a meal replacement shake and i think it's a pyramid scheme or something that i've seen going around i don't know but they like it. And I'm like, whatever. I, I pick my flavors. I do dairy free for me because I have to be dairy free. So I, if that's what you guys like. I'm not going to argue about the uh, politics behind all those beliefs. So we'll, we'll get the shakes and move on with our life. <laughs> but because I'm, I feel like I'm living with this, I'm trying to lead by example because nobody wants to hear like being shoved down your throat. Like, oh, you have anxiety. You should do a, you know, X, Y, and Z because you know, that clearly it goes over well and everyone does exactly what you tell them to do. <laughs> <laughs> oh. but instead I try to lead by example. And part of that in the last year, I've been very intentional about messaging with my clients and expectations. Like, Nope, we're not, we don't work extra hours. Work-life balance is important to us. That means it takes me longer to get your stuff done. And if that does not work for you, that's fine out the door. Yeah. So I have to be very hard on my employees for that. Like, I just kicked one out today at four o'clock. Like, you have been here too many hours this week. Go home. Go home. <laughs> we, we'll be okay in this last hour. No one, no one's going to, we can cover. No one's, I was going to say no one's going to die, but they could die, but it wouldn't be her fault. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I, and I think for sure that I have people now reaching out to me for employment because of that, because they see it on my website. And then they know my rep- reputation in town because we're not that small of a town. We're not a super small town, but we're not very large either. So people are reaching out to me because they appreciate it. I had several clients tell me that they appreciated the messaging about protecting my employees' work-life balance and their mental health too. Yeah. And I think one of the things I recognize that I really got stuck in is when I was not getting what I needed from my marriage I was just working more and more because it forced me to, or it, it gave me an escape from the conflict. Or the, I, I don't even think there was active conflict. It was all very passive, what was going on. But I didn't have to try to deal with it if I was working. But that got harder when they were kids. So it's um, been a long journey. And I decided, I was telling somebody today, I've read lots and lots of books about how the brain works and how you know, trauma affects I mean, trauma and childhood experiences really just shapes who you are and how you handle that. And it's not, I think it's completely unrealistic to assume that anyone you meet doesn't have it. I mean, I think everybody experiences some level of, I mean, a divorce is a trauma or a death of a family member is a trauma. There's, everyone has trauma. So giving everyone a little bit of grace, that doesn't give them an excuse to use it as a weapon against you. But I try maybe too much to empathize with where they're coming from and try to soften that experience a little bit. But also there are those who just can't, you know, they just, they don't want to do the work themselves and they want to bully basically. So those people are out the door too. And I don't remember what my original point was for that, but (laughs) I feel like I'm at the age right now where that is all my brain can process all that. There's no way I could have ever understood that at 20 or 30. I mean, maybe a little bit more at 30, but since I was living in the middle of it, I couldn't see it. And I had little kids. So my brain was busy doing other things. So now I feel like I'm at this good spot in my life where really that reflection and that work is coming to a head. And I can feel more balanced and more at peace and hopefully help others recognize that it's okay to make changes and work your way through it. And it's okay to have days where the anxiety gets the best of you. And It's okay to have help. At least with mine, I never could have gotten through it without help. My business coach was probably the first person who really helped me, because she saw it from a very different perspective and could point out how things were affecting the business. And she was very good about doing it in a way that was not accusatory; was just suggesting, like, "Oh, you know, too bad you're not getting that support at home. What, where, how could you feel that support?" Questions like that, and then really encouraged me to get into the therapist and do more work that way. And um, she, I would credit her with a lot of that ability to feel like I had somebody I could rely on to move forward who would help me in my professional life. Because if I didn't have my professional life, I wasn't going to be able to move forward. I mean, I was, I'm employable for sure, but venturing into a single mom world is pretty scary. And I didn't need to be doing a whole new job and shutting down a business and all of that all at the same time. So I, I, I give her more credit than she's probably aware of to allow me to have permission to make those changes for myself. We did a lot of work. <laughs> I can imagine, yeah. And I don't even know, if somebody came to me today and said, I'm living with anxiety, I think my response is just, I hear you. And I'm there too. And I've been there. And how can I help you? Because How do you know?
1: Like Elizabeth, how do you know that maybe you're having a more um, anxious time than, than not
0: feeling? I get overwhelmed. I can tell that my patient's level is going down. I'm maybe more snippy with my kids and family members or close friends than I would normally be. And then the thoughts that start creeping in, like the imposter syndrome, I think is very mm. based in anxiety And it could just be situational anxiety for a lot of people. But then when you have, I guess, lifelong anxiety on top of that, I think it compounds the imposter syndrome because you're always sort of living with it and it just gets louder and then it gets quieter and then it gets louder. But, you know, even like when I fired this client, I was like, just It was so hard for me to send that email, even though I know it's best for both of us, because I'm just terrified that the person who they go to is going to pick apart my returns and discover that I have no idea what I'm doing. I'm a horrible person. Like, that's just that's the reaction I have. And I have to stop and take a breath and be like, you would not have 450 clients if you were a horrible person. So like I have to just stop and reassure myself. And one of the biggest tools that my therapist gave me is like, where's the proof of that? Where's the proof? I mean, everybody makes mistakes. You are not a perfect human being. You're not a robot. Tax returns are hard, you know, especially when you have unique situations and mistakes happen. And it's really more about how you own that and fix it than it is that you made it. But then you, you know, meet somebody who wants to tell you that that's wrong and you should be perfect all the time. (laughs) 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 I think that person is invisible and sits on your shoulder. (laughs)
1: depends on who you work for sometimes that person is
0: down the hall but um, especially in
1: our industry I think I think we see a lot of that perfectionism quite a bit
0: yeah and I would say that if you are in a situation where you your supervisor is expecting that from you as an employee there's some work that needs to be done at the supervisor level because there's no way that supervisor is perfect more experienced yes and and able to see things differently. Absolutely. But everybody makes a mistake. It just, it happens. It could just be a typo. I mean, it happens. So dear,
1: dear listener, everyone makes mistakes.
0: Yes. And I tell my kids that you learn from your mistakes and really how I view you as quality, like a, you know, the quality of your character. How do you handle that mistake? All right. Because if, if you're blaming everybody else, I'm out. I don't want to deal with you because you may not ha- own all of it, but you sure, sure have a part in it. And if you, and that's probably the other way my anxiety comes out. Comes out. We get an IRS letter. Oh my God, I made a mistake. I'm a terrible person. I, cu- I could have sent out four pieces of CYA. Like I sent this year, I sent out all kinds of emails. You told me you got $1,400 in stimulus payment, or you told me you, told me you got $1,400. Okay, fine. But the ones that said I didn't get any money, the letter says, if you did, or the IRS thinks you did, they're going to they're going to send you a letter and they're going to change your return. And there's nothing I can do about it because you told me you got zero and they said you got 1400. Now, if you really didn't get it, there's a process we can go through to try to fight for it. But like, I just did a standardized letter like that. And you would be amazed how many people decided to go back to their bank account. Oh yeah, I did get that money. (laughs) (laughs) But if they hadn't done that, because the year before we didn't do any of that, we didn't really understand how all that was going to work. Right. So we got all these letters and it was all my fault. And I'm so tired of it being all my fault. And, it, and now I feel, I hate the customer service aspect where you feel like you have to argue with people, but I still have to do that. I'm like, well, okay, you got this letter, but I told you you were getting this letter. And here's where I told you, and here's where I told you again, and here's where I told you again. And you still got this letter because <laughs> I knew you were going to get it. <laughs> so that has been exhausting. Like I have to really mentally prep myself every time like you told them you can't be responsible for their day-to-day finances. You, have, you know, could I have done something better, different, clearer? Maybe. But with what I have on my plate at the moment, you know, that that's the best I could give them. And at some point, see, people have to learn to read and comprehend what you're telling them. (laughs) So, and that is the other piece I see on a regular basis where my anxiety crops up. It's like they get a letter and now it's my fault. And what did I do wrong? And how do I fix it? And then I end up giving away the shop. Oh, okay. I'll refund your penalties and interest or I'll, you know, not charge you. And I've gotten much better at that, but initially it was very much like oh my gosh I know I'm so sorry this happened to you let me make it better by refunding your fees but really I did the work and they just didn't give me all the information like that and I should not be giving my fees back for that if I actually if I really truly make a mistake I will always pay for their penalties and interest and maybe waive their tax prep fee but if it's just because there's a miscommunication or we ask them for year, you know, I have people I asked for five months for information. They still did not get me the right stuff. Like that is not my problem. I've been asking, <laughs> But that's I a- too.
1: I think too, a lot of these problems are just caused by a broken IRS, right? So there's nothing yeah. that our clients have done wrong. There's nothing that we have done wrong. It's just things don't get processed properly and these erroneous notices get issued. So yeah, a lot of it is not even a quote unquote mistake, unless you want to say that the government is making mistakes over and over and over. Did I just say that?
0: (laughs) (laughs) I got one right letter (laughs) without having to respond. (laughs) Uh, But it, I mean, that, and that certainly doesn't help it if you are constantly battling yourself with, you know, trying to, I'm sure my expectations for how my service looks is way higher than it should be. And then, then I go down the rabbit hole, like, well, is that because I'm female and I feel like I have a different standard mm. that I have to also live up to? And then I notice that many of the clients I'm firing are males, and they're just, you know, they're used to running the show, and that's they're from the time frame where the that I was allowing that to happen, and I'm trying to retrain people how to to treat me now, Elizabeth. That is a different episode. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Edit that out. (laughs) Leave that in.
1: Elizabeth, can you give us any advice if uh, you know somebody is experiencing anxiety, situational or it's more chronic on the job, anything you might, just two, three pieces of advice you might share for them?
0: If you're the one experiencing it, I'd say find a way to get some sort of therapy or therapy-like services. Like my business coach was a big help and then therapy was a big help. And I think it's more accessible now because of all the telehealth options. If you notice somebody who is living with anxiety or and you want to help them, willing to listen and reassure them and not fix things because you can't fix it. And then also just proactively checking on them because that person with anxiety does not want to be a bother. They don't necessarily want to bug you or take away from you because they feel like they may need a little extra help. And that asking for help, even though you're willing to give it is, I mean, I think that's a hard step for anybody, but it's even harder if you have anxiety. So as a friend being proactive, I think is a good skill.
1: Is there anything else you would like folks to know?
0: I think human beings are awesome people and I appreciate all of the information that has exploded with the internet and being able to re- recognize that this, that I'm not alone and that everybody lives with really everybody I think has some sort of anxiety, whether it's moments or lifelong. And at the same time, the internet can take it, take you down. So stay away from the comments. You heard it here. Dear
1: dear listener, stay away from the comments. <laughs> Thanks, Elizabeth. I appreciate you being on the show. Yeah. That's a wrap, my friends. Reach out and let me know what you think. I appreciate you listening in to this episode of Under Withheld, the podcast by accountants and for accountants, where we talk about our ubiquitous professional and personal struggles. You are not alone.